It's always a privilege to be up here to be able to share the word with you guys, but today I, I feel extra excited. I'm really excited for what God has to, I think what God wants to say, and I hope it really encourages uh, you guys this morning. So growing up um, as a kid, and I'm not sure if many of you have had this, ex- had this experience, but I grew up in a Christian family, so I always got told to go to church. So I kind of felt like as a young kid, I was kind of forced to go to church and it felt a little bit restrictive to me. It felt a little bit like Christianity became this rule-based things where there was a bunch of stuff I had to do um, and a bunch of stuff I couldn't do. Um, but what I wanted, because I was a little kid, was to be able to do whatever I wanted, right? I wanted the freedom to be able to do anything I wanted on a Sunday morning, which wouldn't have been church on a first preference. It would have much rather been sleeping in, you know, playing my, you know, at the time it was a PlayStation 2, um, Game Boy Advance, you know, that kind of stuff, if you guys remember those game consoles. Um, so if I show you this diagram on the, on, the, on the slide that hopefully will come up in three, two, one, yes, okay. Um, on one side, I was living the Christian life as if it was a very religious thing, as if, you know, church was, being a Christian meant I had to go to church, and going to church meant I was good enough for God, and good enough to call myself a Christian. But what I wanted was this other extreme that we call license, this life just where we can do whatever we wanted. And at the time, I didn't know that freedom was not just being able to do whatever you want. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but in the process of going from one extreme to the the other, I had missed what true gospel freedom was all about. And this gospel freedom is the life that actually God promises every single one of us who says yes to Jesus. Jesus' whole mission essentially was a project of liberation. It was a project to bring us into freedom. He was freeing us from the guilt of sin, the penalty of sin, and the power of sin. Freedom is at the heart of the Christian message. So as we continue on with this Galatians series, we've been talking a lot about how we're not saved by the law and we're saved by faith and we're not of sons and daughters of the slave woman, we're of the free woman. And we finally get to chapter five, verse one, which is essentially the the climax, the culmination of everything Paul has been saying in the first four chapters. And he says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So let's take a look at the passage together. Um, and see what true freedom really is this morning. I'm gonna be reading from Galatians chapter five from verse one to verse 15. Um, I thought I'll read from the NLT translation this morning because I thought this captured, um, yeah, really well what Paul was really trying to say. So Galatians chapter five, verse one. So Christ has truly set us free. So make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ is gonna be of no benefit to you. I say it again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, then you must obey every regulation in the law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, then you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who has called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. And I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. 
Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I was still no longer, if I was no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, then no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision will mutilate themselves. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, then watch out, beware of destroying one another. Let me pray. God, we thank you again for the opportunity to hear your word being spoken. And God, I pray that there will be clarity in this message, that Holy Spirit, you would speak through me and that you would bring forth an understanding and an experiential revelation of what true freedom really is. What is this life of freedom that you have called us to live? And may you empower us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there are three things from this passage that there's a lot more, but I just wanna focus on three things um, from this passage to highlight this morning. Uh, Two ways that we shouldn't be living out our Christian life. And then lastly, what true freedom looks like. So the first point is this, freedom can be given up for religious law keeping. How interesting is it that the moment Paul starts with this triumphant first verse, it is in freedom that Christ has called us Uh, Did I say that wrong? (laughs) It is in freedom that Christ has set us free. He makes this triumphant statement, and then straight after that, he goes, now make sure you stay free. Because the reality is that we can hear the gospel message, we can receive Jesus into our lives, we can say we are free, and then we can give up that freedom again. Why? Because we've talked about for this for several weeks now, we've talked a lot about how we, we are not saved by the law and we're saved by faith, but we haven't talked about the fact that we can actually be saved by faith and then we can lose that freedom again. And you see in this passage that the, Galatian, uh, the Jewish Christians, as we've been reading in the past few chapters, have been trying to convincing the Galatians that they should get circumcised, telling them that if you get circumcised, you'll be a more spiritual Christian. This seems like a one-off and a small inconvenience, but what they're not realizing is that if they head down this path, they're reverting to the old system of trying to earn their good standing with God through their good works. They're trying to go back to being justified by works. And what they don't realize is this is just one act, but this one act opens the door for everything else. It means that if you now think circumcision means that you have good standing with God, that means you can't just do, be circumcised, you have to obey the entire law again. And Paul says this is a trap. If you get fall back into this trap, you're being enslaved by the law again. You've given up your freedom and you've fallen away from grace. So some of the Galatians might try and argue and say, hey, it's not that extreme. I, I'm, I'm still believing in grace. I'm still thankful for the blood of Jesus, but I'm just also getting circumcised on the side. But it doesn't quite work like that because the moment you add anything to grace, it means that you haven't truly understood and embraced what grace means in your life. Imagine trying to tell, for those of you who are married here, imagine trying to tell your spouse, oh, I'm so faithful to you because these are all the things I've been doing throughout the year. But every year you cheat on your spouse. Imagine trying to convince them that you're faithful. It would not fly well at all. 
in the same way, trying to tell someone you really believe in grace when every now and then you slip in a little bit of works and you're using this to prove that you're a good Christian, that means that you don't fully understand grace. And that's why Paul says in verse two, make sure you stay free. Don't get circumcised. Don't head back into this life of law keeping to prove your spirituality. Don't give up your freedom that you now have for slavery again. And then to the Jewish Christians, the ones who are pointing these Galatians towards slavery and towards law keeping, Paul rebukes them as false teachers, as false teachers that have kind of cut in and derailed these Galatians from trying to run their race faithfully. He's, he's warning the Galatians to watch out for them because in the same way that yeast can slowly work itself through the entire batch of dough, Paul is saying these false teaching will slowly infiltrate into your life until it takes up your whole way of life. Yeast or leaven in some scripture uh, translations is typically a symbol of evil in the Bible. So whenever Paul refers to false teaching as leaven or when Jesus refers to the teachings of the Pharisees as leaven, you know that they're saying that this teaching is not a small error. It's a really serious issue. It's false teaching. It's not of God. It's evil. And he even says this part, that the false teachers should emasculate, or in some translations, should mutilate themselves. <laughs> that essentially, if you don't know what that word means, it means that they should cut off their male body parts. So this isn't just actually, it's not just Paul being crude. He's actually referring to a pagan priestly ritual that the Galatians at the time would have been familiar with because nearby in another region, there was a group, that would, a group of priests that to show their dedication in their worship for one of their false gods, one of their gods called Cybele, they would actually, to show their dedication, they would cut off their male body parts. So in the same way that these priests have cut off their male genitals and, and they're unable to bear any physical uh, children in the future. He's saying that what these false teachers are doing are so wrong, it's so evil that they should cut themselves off the body of Christ so that they won't lead more children of God into slavery anymore. Is Paul being harsh to them? Actually, I don't think so. Because deceiving Christians to give up their freedom to fall away from grace is a really, really serious error. And this is what John Stott has to say. He says this, I venture to say that if we were as concerned for God's church and God's word as Paul was, we too would wish that false teachers might seize from the land. So on one side, freedom can be given up. How? If we go back to this mentality that law keeping will save us, law keeping will justify us, and that would draw us into slavery. But there's another way it can draw us into slavery, and that's if we abuse this freedom and, and live out a license to sin. And that's my second point. Freedom can also be abused as a license to sin. You know, often the word freedom, just like how I shared when I was a little kid, uh, gives off the impression that it means we can do whatever we want, or in this culture, we can be whoever we want. You know, but that sounds like freedom, but Paul is saying it's also a trap. Why? Because doing whatever you want, if you think about it, it's just you doing whatever your flesh desires, right? And without the gospel and without the power of the Holy Spirit, whatever your flesh desires, it's just sin. So actually, being able to do whatever you want is returning to this life you once had where you were just living in sin. So 
you may not be enslaved by religious rules and obligations because you, you feel free from those obligations, but to live a life of sin and doing life however way you want apart from God, it's just slavery in another form. It still leads to death, and that's not freedom at all. Second Peter chapter two is really interesting because this passage in Galatians rebukes the false teachers who are trying to preach legalism. But second Peter two, Peter is now rebuking the false teachers that are trying to preach license. So take a listen to what he has to say. This is Peter speaking about false teachers. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever that controls you. John Piper says this, don't surrender the freedom that you have in the all-satisfying Christ to return to the unsatisfying desires for mere physical pleasure or self-exaltation. And that's why Paul is so clear in verse 13 and he says this, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, because that's not true freedom at all. You know, now that I've shared both sides, and as much as I just shared in my first point that the Jewish Christians were wrong in preaching circumcision and legalism, I actually kind of get where they're coming from, given the context. Why? Because during that time, during the time when Galatians was written, we call that the Greco-Roman world in the New Testament times, during that time, sexual promiscuity was literally off the charts. The sexual life of a Gentile was a lawless chaos. It was absolutely normal for someone to have a wife, to, have, uh, to help with the home duties, but then have plenty of mistresses on the side for their pleasure. Homosexuality was more prevalent during that time than it is today. And something like the last 13 or 14 emperors during that time um, were heavily involved in sexual indecency, including in sexual acts. The historians actually describe that time as an era when shame seems to have vanished from the earth. So what some of us here that you and I take for granted, things like purity, things like faithfulness to one spouse, these things are actually virtues, radical virtues that Christianity was first introducing to that world. That wasn't how the world lived their lives at the time. So for the Jewish Christians, can you imagine what their worry is? They would have been so worried that if we start preaching freedom, does that mean the Galatians can now start living this life and just do whatever they want and go back to that lawless chaos? If freedom just meant they were gonna start abusing God's grace, then maybe some rules to kind of restrain them and hold them back towards holiness would be a better option. And that's how they were thinking. And for parents in our midst, maybe you can empathize with some of the Jewish Christians here. Imagine you have a teen, you know, a teenage kid who for whatever reason is going through a rough patch in their life and just really doesn't want to go to church. And, they, and if you had the option, and if you had the option to say on a Friday night, you know, they can go to this wild party, you know, that all their friends are going to, you already know there's going to be heaps of drinking and drugs and even more peer pressure. Or you can force them to go to Kinetic. Which would you choose, you know? If I was a parent, I'm not one yet, but if I was, I would probably choose Kinetic, right? I would probably bribe them with bubble tea or Maccas on the way and just tell them to go to Kinetic and I'll pick them up at 10 o'clock. So I kind of empathize with the Jewish Christians, if you get what I'm saying. You could argue that they actually had good, good, good intentions. But what if it didn't have to be either or? 
what if there was an even better way? What if your kid just wanted to go to Kinetic because he loved God? What if he just wanted to go to Kinetic to worship God and to spend time with his family and friends and have biblical fellowship with them? Wouldn't that be the better way? And that's what Paul is trying to say here as well. He's saying you don't have to live life with religious law keeping, but that doesn't mean you have to live life where you abuse sin. It doesn't have to be either or. It also doesn't have to be the lesser of two evils. There's a complete different third way of living, and that's radical gospel freedom. And that leads to my third point for today. Freedom is actually choosing a life of serving and loving others. Freedom is choosing a life of love. So think with me for a moment. Whenever we say we are free in Christ, the gospel frees us. You know, what are we freed from? What does the gospel free us from? One can say, as we have said, as I have said a little bit earlier on as well, the gospel frees us from sin, right? So that we can have eternal relationship with our heavenly father. It frees us from the guilt of sin, the power of sin, and the penalty of sin. All that is amazing and completely undeserving, and it is true, it's good news. But if we just leave it as that, then it becomes a really individualistic gospel message. God saved me from my sins so that I can be saved. But what's really, what's really interesting is whenever Paul writes about the gospel in any of his letters, Paul never had just the individual in mind. Paul is always thinking about the corporate body. For Paul, the gospel is good news, not just for you, but for the world. God, God came to liberate all people so that we can together be reunited as a family in Jesus. The gospel message has radical implications, not just on how we are saved, but how we live out this life with one another as a new family in Jesus Christ. Because the thing about sin is that what does sin do? Sin ultimately, no matter what type of sin it is, doesn't it just manifest itself in selfishness? Because I feel angry, so I'm gonna be angry to you because I don't wanna forgive you, so I'm gonna be unforgiving. Doesn't it result in selfishness? And isn't it selfish living that hurts the people around us? So what if being freed from sin wasn't just for our own benefit? What if being freed from sin meant we were freed from selfish living and we can now live selfless lives for the people around us. Because we're no longer enslaved to performance, we're no longer enslaved to having to live life to prove ourselves, to justify ourselves before God, to be right before others. You know, we're no longer having to prove ourselves, nor, and we're also freed from this feeling of lack where we need to go to the false promises of life's temptations to fill us because we already have the all-satisfying presence of Jesus Christ. We're freed from selfishness, so now what's left is that we can live a life of selflessness and serve others in love. And that's Paul's big, big, big point in this passage. He says in verse 13, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's why in verse 14, Paul says that the entire law can actually be summed up in this command to love one another. Because even though you're freed from the obligations of the law, love compels you to live beyond yourself. Love compels you to live selflessly. And before you know it, if your life is driven by love, you will fulfill the law that is all about how you love and worship God and how you love and have healthy boundaries and respect and be unconditional towards the people you live with. 
And if you read on to verse 15, Paul actually makes mention that right now, the reason why he's saying this is so important is because there's actually a little bit of bickering in the church, that the, the Galatians were biting and devouring one another. So Paul was challenging them. He's saying, this isn't how you live out your freedom. Freedom is not lived out selfishly. Freedom is lived out for others. So don't be self-centered and serve one another in love. Love, I believe, is the key here. Because in Paul's view, when he writes this letter, love and freedom is essentially synonymous. They're basically the same thing. To feel free, to truly be free, is to love. And you can only love freely when you are truly free. And because if love, sorry, if freedom was lived without love, what would happen? If you were free to live a life but there is no love in there, it will always be self-serving, wouldn't it? You would choose to use that freedom to live life for yourself. But if freedom was lived out with love, then it will become a service and blessing to the people around you. For all the unmarried women uh, in our midst, whether you're dating, whether you're single, as long as you're unmarried, um, this example is for you, okay? Imagine being proposed to. Imagine the beautiful sunset at the beach, the nice picnic that your boyfriend has set up for you with fairy lights everywhere, and you've been led blindfolded and you're now in this middle of this candle lights that's shaped into a love heart, and your dream guy is um, just really good looking. <laughs> and, um, and he's holding this diamond ring and he's on one knee. And then he says this to you. He goes, honey, I wanna freely make this choice to marry you because you're beautiful, and that's gonna make me look good. I've been told by the Australian law that uh, being married means I'm committed to one person, so I guess I will do that. Um, I've also been told that husbands are meant to love their, uh, care for their wife, so I guess I'll do that too. Um, but I do have a couple conditions. Every time I wash the dishes, I wanna get a massage later. <laughs> I don't mind paying for the, for the date nights as long as you pay for the bills, because bills are more expensive. Um, actually, I want kids as well but I want you to be the one who wakes up at night to look after them when they cry. Will you marry me? <laughs> For the unmarried woman here, what would your answer be? Three, two, one? No, great, great, I'm glad. If anyone said yes, I would have had to ask you to come up and we'll pray for you. <laughs> you see what's happened there? This fictional guy, which we hope does not exist, <laughs> He has freely chosen to marry you, but there's no love there. It's completely self-serving. It's completely different from a proposal where if the guy just wanted to marry you because he loves you and he wants the privilege to be able to keep loving you for the rest of his life. That's freedom with love and it becomes a blessing for others. John Piper says this, love does not seek its own. When we love, we're not enslaved to use things or people to fill our emptiness. Love is the overflow of our fullness. Therefore, love is the only behavior that we can do in freedom. When God frees us from guilt and fear and greed and fills us with his all-satisfying presence, the only motive there is, to share, is the joy of sharing our fullness. People who devote large hunks of their lives to surrounding themselves with comforts of this world testify that God has not filled the void of their heart to overflowing. When God is our portion and we are truly free, then we will serve one another in love. So what is true freedom? Freedom is when God is our portion 
and we feel truly free to choose a life of love. So church, imagine with me. What would that look like? What would that look like if as a church we just actually just lived that out? If we really lived out that freedom does not mean we just do whatever we want, but it's a life of loving people. What would that look like when we get together on a Sunday morning in this actually a very precious two-hour window in the entire week when we gather as a body of Christ? I wanna give some examples here. It's not to pick on people. It's really just to say, this is what a picture of church could look like. Imagine driving to church and instead of coming to church and finding one of the last car park slots and being glad that you found a spot or maybe being told to go to Metcash and being a little bit reluctant, just, but you're doing it just because you have to. What if we all freely chose to come a little bit earlier, park at Metcash so that we make space for others? Because there may be people in our midst family who for that particular week is really struggling and for whatever their reason, they couldn't make it to church on time, but they desperately need the presence of God as we worship together. What if instead of coming to church and finding our regular seat, the seat that we've labeled with the smell of our butt, um, what if instead of looking for that seat so that we can find our friends and feel comfortable because you know, it's our time to relax, you know, what if we all looked out for newcomers? What if we all looked out for the last, the least, and the lost, and just chose to love them and to make church home for them? What if committing to a connect group, for those of you who are still trying to find one, what if committing to a connect group was so much more about finding a group where you can truly serve, be, a, be helpful towards and love, than finding a connect group that serves your needs? How much more joy-filled and vibrant would this church community be if we gathered to celebrate and worship Jesus in that way as we came not to be served, but to serve? What about Sunday, outside Sundays as well? Because that's the rest of our week, right? I won't go through all of it, but what would that look like in our workplaces? What would that look like in the way, in the things that we say yes and no to throughout the week? How would that change the way we spend our money? How would that change the way we spend our free time? Can you imagine the kind of community we could be if we all just said, yes, I wanna live out this freedom and live a life that serves others in love? And that's why I think love actually becomes one of the most effective tools of evangelism because through love, Jesus says, by this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And we live out this life of love, we reflect Christ and we become a blessing for the world. So as I invite um, Nick back up on the keys and slowly come to a close, I wanna now speak to a particular group of you, which might actually be all of you. Um, some of you guys might be hearing all this and you're saying, yes, I'm hearing it, Arthur. Freedom is not this, it's not that, it's, it's this life of loving others. But the thought, the question that's kind of lingering in your mind this whole time is, what if I just don't feel free to love? I know it, but what if I still don't feel it? What if love, loving people still feels like an obligation? So we just get told to do this all the time as Christians. What if there are moments when I'm just tired and I wanna be selfish and I just wanna live life for yourself? And truth be told, I reckon all of us fits in that boat. I don't think any of us are perfectly living this life of Jesus-like selflessness. I think that's all of us at different points in our lives, right? But can I remind you tonight, this morning, that freedom is what God has called us into. Christ has truly set us free. He has freed us from legalism. He has freed us from license. He has freed us from all those things so you no longer have to live life selfishly and you can live life for others. And you're now free. So whenever you go through the walks of life and every single day we have decisions to make, don't we? 
And when we have those decisions to face, you need to know that you have no obligation. There is no one path that you must walk or, or nothing else is okay. You have the freedom to actually make a choice. You can choose to slowly give up this freedom. You can choose to do that. You can choose to go back to living life for yourself, doing the things that you want for your own benefit. But every time you make that decision, you need to know, as Paul warns, you're slowly taking steps back into enslaving your life. It will be so subtle, but you are taking steps in that direction. Or you can choose to express this freedom as a way to serve others in love. And because love and freedom is synonymous, every time you make that decision to practice loving others, you are experiencing more and more what it feels like to be free in Christ. And every time you feel more free in Christ, you're able to love others more extravagantly because life is no longer about yourself anymore. And my prayer is that by the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that all of you here, when you get faced with that decision, you would choose the latter. You would choose to live out your freedom as a way of serving and loving one another in love. So before we respond, let me just quickly pray for all of us here. God, we thank you that we can truly find freedom only because of what you've done on the cross, because of your life, death and resurrection. We have been freed from all those things. We have been freed from selfishness and we can start living a life the way you intended, a life like yours who came not to be served, but to serve. So God, I just pray that you break any shackles of chains that are binding people back to say, this is difficult. I don't want to do this. Any thought that makes them think living selfishly will give them greater satisfaction. God, I pray that you break that in Jesus' name and give everyone here the freedom to just love joyfully as we experience you more and more and share that joy with the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, can we stand? So as we come to a time where we respond in song, I wanna ask um, a group of you, two groups of you to actually come to the front and respond. The first group of you are for those of you who right now don't actually believe in Jesus. You haven't actually made that decision to say, I wanna follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Maybe you're still exploring Christianity, but deep down you feel enslaved. Deep down you feel like something about life, whether it's demands of life, whether it's the temptations of life, something is enslaving you and you don't truly understand what it means to be satisfied. If that's you, I wanna encourage you that Jesus is the all satisfying presence who can give you true freedom. And if you wanna to commit to that life and say, I wanna make Jesus my Lord and Savior and experience this freedom, I wanna say no and repent of my past life and my sins and say yes to submitting to Jesus as my Lord. In a moment as we sing, I'd love for you to come to the front and one of us would love to be able to pray for you and journey alongside you for the next steps. For the second group, I wanna to speak to those of you who, as we were sharing this message, you feel the Holy Spirit convict you that there's different areas of your life where you're still living selfishly, where either you're living life to prove yourself, whether you're living life to find satisfaction in things outside of Christ, and you're finding that actually the Holy Spirit is just nudging me to say, make your life about others. I have freed you from selfishness so you can live selflessly. And if you're saying, that's difficult, but right now I feel convicted and I just want the Holy Spirit to fill me with love so that I can experience freedom and be truly free to love. 
If that's you, I wanna encourage you as the worship team sings to make your way to the front as well. And I feel led to say this, but as I was praying last night, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you have done your job. This message is enough. I don't need you to come back up, reconvince people. I, I will do that work. So if that's you and the Holy Spirit is nudging you, I believe I've been obedient in this message. The question is, will you be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life? So if you fall into one of those two groups as the worship team sings, I encourage you to make your way 